Well, good evening. Welcome to Refuge. It's a, it's a joy to be here. Um, tonight we're going to be in 2 um, Kings chapter 4. And uh, in this evening, um, so we're going to see how it is that uh, the Lord used Elisha powerfully in, uh, in five instances that we're going to see here. Five instances where the Lord used Elisha to perform miracles. Um, so just in, in preparation, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to go to James chapter 5. And so keep your place there in 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, come with me to James chapter 5. Because Elisha was, was the mentee of Elijah. And this is what James had to say in regards to Elijah. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James writes, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, in, in verse 16, this is something that we'll see worked out this evening uh, in, a, in a couple of instances with uh, Elisha. But this is what was spoken of Elijah, who, again, for Elisha was, was everything. He was his, his teacher. He was the one who, was, who um, uh, mentored him, uh, who taught him to be that man of God who served him. In Matthew chapter 17, It says this, beginning in verse 14. And this is just speaking, drawing your attention to faith, because Elijah was a man of faith. Elisha was a man of faith. And so there was a situation with Jesus' disciples, and we know that they couldn't take care of this man when they should, they should have been able to. And so... It says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 17, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an ep epileptic, epileptic. Tongue twister there for me. <laughs> and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, um, whether it's in James or whether it's in Matthew, both of these areas of Scripture speaks of a faith, a faith that we ought to possess. Because God responds to faith. His word has made it abundantly clear that he does. He can do anything, and what we know is that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. In Genesis 1-1, if you believe Genesis 1-1, then you can believe the rest of the Bible. In Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you have trouble with that, then you'll have trouble with the rest of the Bible. If you believe that, and if you know that that is true then you will not have trouble with the rest of God's word. Consider Elijah and Elisha. Again, Elijah was Elisha's teacher. Uh, he was his rabbi, his mentor. Elisha listened, he observed, he learned what it looked like, not just to know God's word, but to act on God's word. 
with faith, what it looked like to persevere and be faithful to the Lord. When it was reasonably easy, but especially when it got difficult. He learned that God could do what is impossible with man. If we truly consider the things that God has done and who He is, we ought to express a faith in God that He can indeed do all things and pray with complete trust in Him and act on that faith in such a way that our very lives line up with His perspective, with a belief in Him and a trust in Him. Now, C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, God takes care to deliver his servants in ways that exercise their faith. He would not have them be little in faith, for faith is the wealth of the heavenly life. Close quote. May our faith in God grow this evening as we learn about how God used Elisha to perform these amazing miracles. We have five recorded instances where the Lord used Elisha to perform miracles. We're going to learn about them this evening. And I pray that it just builds our faith as we look at what was done through this man who trusted in God and had faith in his Lord. Father, we want to commit this study into your hands, Lord. Lord, I ask that our very hearts would be pliable, perhaps even broken, moldable before our holy and righteous God, our Savior. Lord, I pray that we would be very attentive, that we would be sensitive to how it is that your Spirit is give us, giving us understanding, that he is teaching us what is true, what is sound, what is righteous, what is holy. As your faithfulness is pointed out, as your name is elevated this evening in this place, I pray, Lord, that we would perhaps even consider this moment to be a time of worship. Lord, a, a time that we are listening directly from you as we open the pages of Scripture. And so help us to understand that all things are absolutely, without a doubt, possible with you. They're possible. And let us also see how, how good you are. And so, Father, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start out with the widow's oil and God's provision. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. The story of the widow's oil. I am sure most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with that story. You see, the wife of a faithful prophet came to Elisha and told him exactly what her circumstances were. Her husband had died. The debt was still there. She had no means of paying this debt back. She had two sons with her. 
the creditors were coming and they were about to take her two sons away so that they would be basically serve as indentured servants to repay this debt. Now, whether we agree with this or not, that is not the point here. This was the legal system of the day. There was no bankruptcy that could be declared. Whatever a person owed was owed, and they were held accountable to pay it, even if it was through the children that they had being taken as indentured servants to repay all of the debt that was owed. You see, this was the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law allowed for them to be enslaved up to the year of Jubilee. In that year, not only was the debt forgiven, but also if land was given uh, in the place of debt, that was also restored to the original owner. There was nothing that was, uh, that was, that, that, that was really um, owned by anyone, but it was basically on loan. It, it served to repay for the time up to the year of Jubilee. And Elisha knew the law. He, he knew the Mosaic law. And he asked her this simple question, what shall I do for you? You know, with that question alone, it's knowing the law. She knew the law. He knew the, knew the law. And when she came with this issue, all he could say is initially is, and what do you want me to do? There is nothing that I can do for you in this case. Because we know what needs to happen. This is what the law required. So the question is, as we follow up, what did he do for her? Well, he started asking her questions, right? He asked her one question. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Instead of really looking at the problem alone, Wow, I can't believe that you're in that place. Uh, maybe we should run, uh, go somewhere else. He didn't do that. He just simply asked, what do you have in your house? Her reply was what she felt she had in her house. Nothing but a jar of oil. And by the way, this jar of oil that she referred to, in, in the original language, means a, a small jar of oil. It wasn't a big jar of cooking oil. It was just a, a small jar that was used for holding oil for anointing. Imagine, it's a little bigger than this. But we, we saw it when we went to Israel. They're just really small. There's other bigger, there are other bigger ones, but very small, very small. She said, nothing but this little jar of oil. That's all I have. So Elisha, with knowing, when having that knowledge, he, he said, go, borrow as many vessels as you can from all of your neighbors, and they have to be empty vessels. Make sure they're empty vessels. Don't go borrow these jars from them, these vessels that are full. They've got to be empty. Bring as many as you can. Then Elisha told her, go into your home, shut the door with your sons, start pouring into those empty vessels from the one small vessel that you do have. And every time a vessel gets full, put it off to the side. That one gets full, put it off to the side. Elisha was already exercising faith. He was, he was hearing as the Holy Spirit was leading him in the moment. And he was telling her what to do. She and her sons did this. What an amazing situation. If you, if you think about the event, I mean, this whole, this whole portion of Scripture, as we go into it, there's uncertainty, right? There's, there's got to be a, a, some kind of a perplexing thoughts. But she and her sons went into the house. Her sons started going out and asking the neighbors one by one, for empty vessels. Each time she would pour into one vessel, it would fill up and another one would come. She'd fill that one up and her small vessel of oil just kept on miraculously being filled as she filled the larger vessels with the smaller vessel. Now, there's, there's a lot of 
to draw from this as far as our own lives are concerned, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but this is what was happening with this woman, with this widow. Did it once again and again and again. Another vessel was filled, another one, another one, another one, until they had no more. Once uh, they stopped coming, she told her sons, go get some more. And they told her, there are no more. In other words, they went out and they collected all of the vessels that were empty that all of their neighbors had. They told her, there are no more. This is it, mom. This is all we have. The woman then went and reported to Elisha what had taken place, and he told her, go sell that oil, pay off all your debt, and you and your sons with the rest of the money, you can live on that. So we see as we break it down, first of all, the problem was stated. That's the first place where we need to, that's the place where we need to start. That is confession. This is an issue. This is where I'm at. This is my state. This is my issue. The problem was not ignored as if it would disappear if ignored. But it was confessed to the right person. Notice, this wasn't an issue that she brought up to her neighbor. It wasn't something that she brought up to anyone else. She knew that Elisha was a man of God. She knew that Elisha knew her husband who had died. You know my husband. He was a man who feared God. He was a faithful man, a servant of God. Sometimes we confess our issues, but it's nothing more than bringing it up to someone who's just going to add to our misery. We bring it up to the wrong person. They just go along with you. They just kind of get you well-rooted in your misery. And you know, James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is work- working. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Helping someone be restored in a spirit of gentleness is not doing it for them. You cannot do that for them. But helping them be restored in the Lord and unto the Lord. Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 and three through 5, as, as we continue in Galatians, says, For if anyone thinks he is something, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. But let, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. So number one was confession. The problem was confessed. Number two, the problem was confirmed. Elisha could not change the law or the consequences of their debt. Uh, Yes, you are right. You are in a tough spot. What a friend, right? Yep. Yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, man, I already knew that. Don't sugarcoat the issue. Don't lessen something that is not right. Call it out for what it is. You know, Nathan did that. Nathan the prophet did that with David. There couldn't have been anyone better than Nathan to come, having done that with King David. He gave him this story, and, he, and then when he, he knew that David had gotten the story, he told him, you're the man. He confessed, and he repented. That's a faithful friend. You see, Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You don't want someone that agrees with you all the time and tells you what you want to hear. 
You want to be man enough and, or woman enough to also take on the wounds of a friend, to be mature enough in Christ to where you can hear something tough, like Elisha telling the widow, you're right, you're in a bad place. You're right, friend, you're in a bad place. What are you going to do about it? You see, God has entrusted you with a measure of faith, each and every one of us. You are to exercise that faith with what you have been entrusted to exercise it with. And that could be your circumstances. That could be what you're going through. We are called to exercise our faith in what we've been entrusted with. Whether it be something that we count as a blessing or something that we count as very difficult, it doesn't matter. We've been entrusted with all of that in order for us to demonstrate a faith in God. Fourthly, act on faith. Don't just talk about faith. Don't just learn about faith, but act on faith. He said, go, re retrieve many vessels. You showed me what you had. Now go, retrieve as many vessels as you possibly can. Not, not little, but many. Act on faith. Pour what you do have into the larger empty vessels. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it. Because that bears no fruit whatsoever. You have to exercise Faith in what you do have. Use it. Notice that Elisha didn't do the work for the widow. He could have very well have said, I've got this. Let me do it for you. But he didn't. Elisha did not work, did not do the work for the widow. He told her what to do, but she had to choose to do it. And she was blessed for having done it by faith. Notice also that these vessels needed to be empty in order to be filled. Obviously, pastor, right? But we need to also consider this very thing ourselves. You see, we are vessels. And God cannot fill us with his spirit and with his word if we're already filled with the world and its concerns. He cannot fill us if we are filled with pride and arrogance. It requires humility, a brokenness before the Lord, a contrite heart, one that is hungry for God's word, is thirsty, a person who cannot get enough, I need more. Because pride and arrogance, being filled with the world and its concerns, will only lead to a great fall. It will lead to destruction, and it will lead to death. You won't be like the, the widow who is willing to humbly go and do these things and act on her faith. Instead, you'll rely on your own strength, and you'll go nowhere. You know, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This woman was humble enough to come to a man of God, was given instructions. She acted on that word by faith, and she was blessed with provision and with abundance, not only for herself, but for her sons. Remember that not only was she able to pay that debt off, but she was also able to, to, to live with the rest of it a life for her and her sons, she was able to provide, and the Lord provided that for her. So that's the story of the widow and the oil. We also come to a faithful woman in God's blessing, the Shunammite, who is barren. 
Verse 8, as we continue, says, One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha has said to her, a faithful woman the Shunammite who is barren, and God's blessing came upon her. So there was this wealthy couple in Shunamm, and the woman wanted to bless Elisha. Seeing him pass time and time again, uh, she discerned that he was, a, he was a man of God, a servant of God Almighty, and, and she was drawn to him to help him, to make sure that he's well-nourished, that he's taken care of. So every time he passed by, he would make sure that he knew, hey, there's food here for you, make sure you stop, and he would stop. After a while, he kept stopping by, and, and, uh, and, and they would stop, and they would break bread together. She would feed him. But she had this desire to do more for Elisha. She desired to build him a room specifically for him, so that not only would he be able to stop by and eat, but that he would be able to stop and rest just take care of himself in that way, and then he could go on. Eat a little something, sleep a little, and move on. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we're to do good to everyone, but we are to prefer or even more so, go out of our way and do good to those who are of the faith, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. For this, Elisha was compelled to bless her. And so he had his servant Gehazi go and, and, uh, and ask for her, asking what it was that she wanted done for her. Now, she didn't present herself directly to Elisha, uh, but somewhere in the vicinity, there, there were these questions that were being asked. What is it that you, you want to be done for you? Do you want a good work to, a word to be put in um, you know, before the king, before the commander of the army? How can I be of service to you? Her simple reply, I dwell among my own people. It's awesome when you, when you come across someone like, like this. I, I don't desire anything. This is what she was saying. I, I want, by this statement, she was saying, I want no preferential treatment. I desire no notoriety. I'm content with who I am and where I am among my own people. I'm not in need of anything. I don't need anything from the king. I don't need any, anything from the commander of the army. I don't need anything. I'm, I'm fine. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Those were the words of the Apostle Paul as he had experienced all kinds of things. But Elisha probed his servant. He wanted to know, There's, there must be something. He asked him some more questions, asked 
him if perhaps you know something that she desires, something that she needs. There's got to be something. So he said, well, I know that she's barren and her husband's old. She longs for a son, and, and unfortunately, they don't believe they're going to have a son. In those days, to not have a child is, is, brings shame upon you. It's a reproach. And so Elisha, he called for her. And, in her, and also, we can't skip the details of this. In her humility, she came. But notice where she came to. She came and she stood at the doorway, at the threshold to, the, to his room that they had built for him, stood right there. She didn't assume that she could go in. She stayed right there. That, that was, that's an expression of humility, of respect, of honor. She, she honored this man, Elisha. I point that out because today there's, that's lacking. Honor, respect, reverence. It's lacking. When we show honor, when we show respect, we, we, we show we are demonstrating a, a humility that we actually do esteem others more than ourselves. It's in how we address them and how we handle each other. It is so important. We can't miss the, these details because it actually exposes the heart and where we are. We can say all we want that we reverence God, that we honor Him, that we respect Him, and yet disrespect each other. How can we honor and revere the Lord? And then disrespect each other. Because the Bible says that if we do that, then we're liars, really. Because by, by honoring, by respecting and honoring each other, we're actually honoring and respecting the Lord. And this is what this Shunammite uh, demonstrated to Elisha. It was a respect, it was an honor. And she stood there at the doorway. And Elisha had a word for her. A word from God. It wasn't his own word. Remember, Elisha was, was driven, was, was led by the Lord. And as the Lord led him, so he spoke. He didn't speak anything that was not of the Lord. And in that very moment, he said, Next year, in this season, about this time, a year from now, you will have a son. And what did she say? No, my Lord, no, 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 don't lie to me, right? She was like, she couldn't believe what he was telling her. But at the same time, she was already expressing a faith. In a way, she was already expressing gratitude and being thankful. She was overjoyed. In that response, it's, it's being overjoyed. And it happened just as he said. The next year, at about the same time, her son was born. And the prophetic word of this man came about. What a beautiful story. But it goes on. Verse 18, as we continue. It says, When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or nor Sabbath. And she said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. 
When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying, lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she came to, to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. You know, initially, you can make the statement, what a tragedy, right? The son that she was granted by God's grace for her faithful service to the man of God died. Uh, some people think it could have been just heat exhaustion, heat stroke, because of the time of uh, threshing harvesting and threshing. It, it, was, it was a very hot time of the year. But knowing that as she had put him on her lap until noon and knowing that he had died, she immediately, even before that, started acting on faith. Placing her son on Elisha's bed in his room, calling on one of their servants to ready a donkey so she could go to Elisha, believing that if Elijah could be used by God to raise the widow's son of Zarephath from the dead, then Elisha perhaps could be used by God to raise her son also from the grave. Perhaps he could be used, just like Elijah had been used. No doubt the people knew about the raising of the dead that was performed through Elijah. She moved quickly. She moved decisively on this belief. She refused to tell Gehazi when, remember, as she was approaching and Gehazi came to, to, him, to her and Elisha had told Gehazi, ask her, you know, this, this woman is coming and ask her if it's well with her, with her household, with her husband, with her son. But she refused to tell him. She wanted to wait until she got to Elisha to tell him. Her response to Gehazi, all is well. But she was obviously distressed. When she approached Elisha, she dropped before him. Dropped before him. And clung to his feet. And as Gehazi was about to push her away, Elisha told him not to do that for she is under distress. She, there's something obviously wrong. Don't push her away. And notice that Elisha was surprised. He, he was surprised that God had not revealed this to him before she even got there. He, he was kind of taken off guard. He was, he was caught off guard. I think if he's surprised, he was wondering why it was that God hid this from him. You see, there are a great many things that are hidden from the servants of God until they are faced with the distress of an issue. 
with difficult circumstances. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, when we have a heads up, when we know prior to getting there, we can kind of prepare our response. But when in one instant you are hit with something, you don't have any time to prepare. Hopefully you've been prepared up to that point. That, that is why it's so important to know God's word, to know it well, so that we may know how to respond when an issue just comes upon, just like that. And it's shocking. And it sobers you up. It doesn't just happen to Elisha. It doesn't just happen to Elijah. It doesn't just happen to Paul or Peter or John or James. It happens to all of us. We need to be prepared. And this man of God was, was surprised in the moment, you, you know, that God had hidden this from him, that he didn't reveal it to him beforehand. God's servants must respond accordingly, in line with God's spirit and God's word. You will be tested. You will be tested with little slight things, little Little words from perhaps others that will test whether you can discern what is evil and what is good and right. You will have people whisper in your ear, gossip. Is it gossip? Have you confirmed it? Remember, you cannot accept an accusation against anyone without the testimony of two or three. And you need to go to that person. And verify it. You will be tested. You will be tested. With circumstances. With someone. Something as little as small as this. Someone cutting you off on the freeway. You're being tested. Someone leading you in a way. That you don't like. You're being tested. Can we agree that we're all God's servants? If we're Christians, we are God's servants. Because God's servants must respond accordingly in line with God's spirit and word. With concern for those who are dealing with such issues. Well, Elisha told his servant to take his staff, to travel as fast as he could, stopping for no one. Don't greet anyone when they greet you. Don't respond because that, that will delay you. Go, go quickly, take my staff, and when you get there, lay my staff on the face, on the head of this child. Lay it on there. The Shunammite woman swore, as he said this, he swore, I will, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. She went ahead, but the servant went on ahead of both of them. He got there quickly. They followed after Gehazi to her home from Mount Carmel. When the staff was laid on the woman's dead son, he did not come to life. And it is believed by some that the woman failed to understand that the power was not with Elisha. But in what the Lord did through Elisha, and could have been done through his staff, he said, take my staff, go, lay it on this woman's Son's face. Lay it on there. Or it could have just been simply a word from God, right? Proof of that comes in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, when it says, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. 
And he said to him, I will come and heal him. This is what Jesus responded to the centurion. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to, to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Well, Elisha went into the room where Gehazi and her son were. And they both prayed. They both prayed. Elisha laid on the boy two times and initially his his flesh started to warm. But the boy was raised from the dead. And Elisha told Gehazi, go tell the, the mother. She came. She was presented with her son. She was grateful. She picked up her son. son and she left the room. Now Elisha, as well as Elijah. I had referred to Elijah earlier how it was that they both were used to raise two people from the dead. But both Elisha and Elijah begged God to raise them from the dead. You remember the situation with Lazarus and Jesus. Here's the difference. Jesus commanded him to come out of the grave. We cannot command anyone we have no power. Elisha and Elijah both knew that. They prayed, they begged, they pleaded with God to do this very thing, discerning that this was the will of God. Jesus has the power. God has the power. Elisha exercised great faith in God, discerning that this was indeed what God had desired and it came to be. But again, it wasn't in Elisha's power to do it, but by God's spirit alone. Do you believe that he can do the impossible? I think we cut ourselves short. I think we oftentimes don't see things happen because we just don't exercise the faith necessary. Then when we come to verse 38. And we're dealing with a, a deadly stew here in the midst of a famine. Verse 38 says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, where there was a famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it, uh, from it his lap full of wild gourds, and came in and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. So uh, what a time for this to happen, right? It's in the middle of a famine, and Elisha felt responsible for what had transpired. I mean, he, was, he told his servant, uh, go, set this pot on the fire, prepare a stew for them. Uh, one of the, the, uh, the prophets, they, the, one of the men, they said, hey, I'll go pick some vegetables out. And not knowing what he picked, um, he went and picked something that he shouldn't have picked for the stew. Cut it all up, put it into the stew. They started eating it, and at some point they realized this ain't so good. There's poison. There's, there's death in this pot. Well, Elisha, at that very moment, 
He, he called for flour to be brought. Just flour. Now, flour, I mean, if you try to throw flour into a pot of poison, it just, it, it's not going to work. That's not the formula that we're looking for here. It has nothing to do with the flour. It has to do with the faith that went into that. He asked him, bring some flour, took that flour, threw it in there, mixed it. And then he simply told them, you may eat of it because there's no longer any harm in it. Some liken this story to the Christian in the world. If you remember the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that the child of God may be sanctified unto God. In John chapter 17, verse 15, he said, I do not ask, and this is in his prayer to the Father, he says, I do not, not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. See, the question is, what will make one whole in the midst of evil? We live in the midst of a, of a wicked and perverse generation. It, it, it's dark, and I, I, I admit, I confess, it's, it's very dark. What will make you and I whole in the midst of an evil society, an evil system, of the world. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, This is a word to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26 says, That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Notice that how it turned from, from wives to the church immediately, because this really is referring to the relationship between Christ, the head of the church, and the bride, the church itself, herself. You know how it is that we can be whole in the midst of a wicked and perverse, twisted generation? Because of God's word. As we read God's word daily, as we study God's word and we apply God's word in our lives, we're allowing him to cleanse us, to make us whole. That that poison that we have around us does not infect us and affect us and prove to have consequences in our own lives. That is the only way. God's gracious work through the wholeness of the gospel God's word cleanses and makes one whole, spotless, unblemished, and pre prepared for God's use. It is through God's word. This is what is really illustrated here as we see this. This puts in the flower. It's just by faith. You stand in that, and we know that it was well. He said, pour some out for the men that they may eat, and there was no harm in the pot. And then lastly, verse 42, it says, a man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Five situations where we see God use Elisha mightily. Performing these miracles. This man brought 20 loaves of bread. That's all he had, 20 loaves of bread and some grain. That was, that was it. 
And so when he told them, give, give this bread to the men that they may eat. Like, we only have 20 loaves of bread. What is that for 100 men? And he simply repeated it again. This is what the Lord said. Here's the simple message here. Just trust that God's word is enough. How many times do we need to hear God say the same thing over and over again before it gets through our thick skulls, our hard hearts? How many times do we need to hear it before we learn and apply? We are simply faithful and obedient to the Lord. Well, apparently we need to hear it over and over again. Because we are no different than previous generations. We are no different than those that have come before us. That is why God is long-suffering. He is patient. He is full of mercy. Yes, He is just, but He tells us over and over and over and over again. Why? So that at some point we may get it. When God says it, it's enough. That's it. It's as good as done because it is. We need to take something, a story like this, even as we conclude this chapter, and learn from a man of God who feared God, who revered him, who honored him. A man by the name of Elisha who was used mightily by the Lord. And he simply said, give them to the men that they may eat. He said this a second time, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. Elisha, for him, that was it. When God said it, it was done. It was as good as done. That is exactly what we should be doing with God's word. Believing him. Walking it out faithfully. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Elisha trusted God's word. And it was enough. Are you dependent on what you, on what you see? Or on what God has spoken? Will it be your opinion? Or his promises? I'll leave you with this. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. Father, we have just gone through an exercise of faith. Lord, we have seen five instances where faith was expressed, where belief in your word was walked out. I pray, Lord, that we would we'd remember that, as it says in Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please you. That faith without works is, is dead. Lord, may we not read about faith, know about faith, understand faith, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to apply faith. May we fear you above all. Not only being reverent toward you, but, Lord, not, not desiring that we would need to get to a point of, of being disciplined by you because you discipline those whom you love, and we know that. Lord, but we desire to express that faith to be obedient to your word that, that we may just simply bring you glory. That you may, may be honored. That others perhaps would come to us also and, and be encouraged. Be stirred up to love and good works. That we may serve you by pointing them to your word and, and sharing with them, Lord, a faith that you have entrusted to us. 
And so, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Forgive us of our sins. Lord, your, your word tells us, tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we fall so short. And yet you are so faithful and patient with us. Forgive us. We desire to walk with you. Strengthen us that we may do that by your spirit, according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.